Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. My guest is Paul Spears, founder of the new PL. Paul's core belief is that business needs a new PL, one that is focused as much on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know I'm passionate about leadership and the development of strong business principles. So Paul seemed like a natural fit to have as a guest on the show. Paul has had an extensive career that's mostly focused around business development, PR and communications, but he once also founded his surfwear clothing company in his native New Zealand. So has that entrepreneurial spirit at heart. Paul has a firm belief in business owners working towards a more ethical, collaborative and principled business approach, with a view to encouraging inspirational leadership and inspired teams. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into some meaningful conversations around those subjects in particular. So in today's episode, Paul talks about the importance of there being a deeper reason for starting your own business. Why are you trying to grow that business and scale it other than just to grow and scale it? There's got to be something that underpins it, that gives meaning to it. Otherwise, as I say, it just becomes a process rather than a passion. Gives a wonderful definition of great leadership. So leadership is a mix of talent, ability and tenacity and persistence. And it's the magical mix of those that gets you to the place that you need to be in leadership. And explains why he has great hopes for the next generation of leaders. I have a strong belief and faith that the next generation recognises, broadly speaking, what needs to be done to move towards more ethical business. If you want to know more about the Evolve and the coaching, development, peer group and other services that we offer, then please go to evolvemembers.com. I do really hope you're enjoying listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. And if so, please do help us by subscribing, rating and reviewing the podcast. But for now... Let's get on with the show. Welcome, Paul, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to have you on the podcast, and you've had a varied career spanning over 20 years. understand you've founded your own surfwear clothing company back in your home country of New Zealand. You've worked in marketing and PR. We're recently the head of marketing and strategy for a business and business development up in London but recently founded the new PL. So tell us a little bit about what the new PL stands for, Paul, and what inspired you to get that business underway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had, a, as you said, a career sort of in entrepreneurship and, and business strategy and, and various management positions, predominantly on a agency side. Um, around seven or eight years ago, I was running my own agency, um, marketing and business strategy agency. And we experienced a, I guess, well, we were the recipient of a series of quite unethical actions uh, towards us, which took the business to its knees at the time. And and being a marketeer at heart or a creative mm-hmm. at heart, I had an idea at that point that 
there needed to be a new P&L, not just to focus on profit and loss, but the new P&L principles and leadership, because there's got to be a better way of doing business than, than what we experienced at the time. And the idea floated around in my mind for a little while. And then about 18 months ago, I guess I dipped my toe in the water initially with a podcast and thought I'll just see whether there's a an opportunity and whether the the theme of the new PL would resonate with audiences and we just seem to grow exponentially from there and we've had some incredible guests from right around the world talking about principles and purpose and leadership and business mm. to the point where at the end of last year i launched the new PL brand purpose institute and that's really a consultancy that brings together my 25 30 years in business strategy leadership, brand reputation, uh, et cetera, and all of the leadership uh, knowledge that I've gained over the course of the podcast. And we work with businesses to help them realign and redesign and redefine their purpose and the principles that, uh, mm. that underpin their business, if you like. And so when you talk about principles in business, what do you really mean by that, Paul? Well, I'm on a bit of a, a one-man mission to redefine the vinyl values that are in business. So what I mean by vinyl values is, you know, you walk into a reception or you walk into a boardroom or an office, yeah. you've got those slogans on the wall that are generally printed and cut out vinyl and they're supposed to, supposed to represent everything that the business stands for, um, supposed to demonstrate it, but they often become a, a very thin substitute for rather than a representation of the values that define that business. So. My ambition with the with the new PL and the and the Brand Purpose Institute is to really get back to the heart of what defines that business, what are the principles that underpin it, what are they trying to achieve, what is the essence of their purpose and their vision. Because it's it's my belief, and I think the evidence and the research out there shows as well, that a business that has a more cohesive and collaborative understanding of what that shared vision is and that shared purpose is and an employees and management teams and leaders that understand what principles sit under that vision and under that purpose and help to drive it, then the better the business will be, the more, the stronger it will be, and ultimately the more successful it will be because people are pushing in the same direction. They feel an individual and a collective sense of belonging and purpose and understanding and, and uh, that promotes productivity and collaboration within that business. Yeah, definitely. Well, you might be a man on a, on a mission, a one-man mission, but you're actually uh, talking language that's uh, key to my heart. We we talk about essence, spirit, and beliefs instead of yes. mission, vision, and values, because you see too many businesses, you know, entrepreneurial, owner-managed through to the corporate, simply putting a mission, vision, and values statement on the wall of every meeting room. And you and I would have been into those meeting rooms and have had meetings that have been conducted in those rooms yeah. that have no sort of relationship to what is purport to go on in that in that yeah. business and that really is frustrating so you might be a one-man mission but one that's got my wholehearted support <laughs> um, but going into some of the detail one of the things that's always intrigued me perhaps if we talk about the more entrepreneurial side yeah. of business is that some people try and kind of separate their professional values and principles from their personal ones and you can see that conflict I mean what are the dangers of doing that and how do you overcome that and perhaps some of the kind of consultancy and advice that you would give an owner-managed entrepreneurial business in setting its principles? I mean, I think fortunately, I wouldn't say this is completely widespread, but I think fortunately the, the artificial line that's been drawn between 
the individual outside of work and the individual inside of work has largely been smoothed over in the last decade to two decades, mm -hmm. I would say, and you're able to bring your more authentic self to work and your more personable self and humane self to work. So I think a lot of work has been done by a lot of businesses and the business discourse and in general to ensure that we are able to be ourselves in business. I think the danger of, of not being your true self in business is that you can't maintain that over time. You know, you, mm -hmm. you can't create an inauthentic version of yourself and maintain and sustain that and and be true to yourself and be true to your employees and your team and your, and your business in the process. And I think the closer you are to the authentic self, um, the closer you are to understanding the people you work with, to being able to demonstrate empathy, to be able to demonstrate perspective and self-awareness and all of those other things that are that are so critical to, to leading a business. Um, so I think, you know, we, a lot of work has been done, as I say, in bringing the personal and the professional self together. I think some people still have a way to go, mm. but I think we're in a much better place, broadly speaking, in business to be able to be ourselves in business and bring our true selves to the business world. Definitely. That kind of um, old-fashioned alpha male and alpha female way of that's how we run a business is definitely on the way, thankfully. And, and yep. people like, I love that term, you, you know, ability to be your authentic self is great. And I suppose, but that has got to apply to your team members as well as the owner, directors, leaders, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, the paradoxes of the, the pandemic, I guess, over the last 18 months is at one level, we have physically and sometimes emotionally and mentally removed ourselves from each other's worlds because we've worked in a more remote environment. But paradoxically, we've gathered perhaps a more intimate understanding of each other because of the, you know, the dog jumping up in the back of the Zoom meeting yeah. or the children marching in or we have to go off and, and teach our children geography at three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever the case may be. We've been able to see each other's personalities expressed, even in the the prints or the posters or the paintings behind mm -hmm. us or the lounge or the office we're sitting in. We've, we've had a, a window literally and figuratively into each other's worlds. And I think that has helped to promote a more personal understanding of us as people rather than just us as business people. Yeah, definitely. Definitely given us an insight. And the challenge is how, and I don't know, you might have some hints and tips on how you do this, but the challenge is, is now, you know, even if it's a hybrid way of working, a lot of people are now moving off that kind of homeworking and doing at least a few days in the workplace, how do you continue with that theme when perhaps the inevitable thing to do is just to revert to type and, you know, a more colder approach when you return to the work environment? Any hints and tips? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I really don't think any of, I really don't think any business issues are complex. I think it all comes down to will and intention and consistency. Mm. And if you've had those personal conversations with someone over the last 18 months because you've seen, a, as I say, a poster or a conversation around a dog or whatever it happens to be, however frivolous it happens to be, it's only the consistency and the intention and the will to maintain that personal relationship when you come back together in the office that will ensure that that personal relationship will develop and flourish. So it's no different to having an intention or a will to developing that relationship when you first meet someone in the office as it used to be. We either make a decision to engage or we make a conscious decision not to engage with people in the office. And 
it does, and, and probably several times in this conversation, you know, I will, I will use these words, but it does come down to intention and will. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah. I suppose if you walk through the workplace door with a kind of an attitude that it's head down, I'm at work today, going to ignore anybody. That's what happens, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier in just one of your responses, again, about self-awareness. And obviously that's another key element of leadership. Yes. Um, but it's a term that kind of gets thrown around a lot, I think, in this day and age is everybody needs to be self-aware. Yep. To you, what does self-awareness actually mean? I mean, as a, as a leader of a business, um, it means two things, I guess. One is to be able to, there's a, there's a mix of introspection, and outside assistance. So to be truly self-aware as a leader, I think you need to take the time to reflect on your actions and your words and the way they impact on people at work. I think you need to recognize your relative privilege as a leader in terms of the place you hold in that business and, and in business more generally. And as a result of that, what impact of words and actions have on others. Um, and I think you also need to work with someone external to yourself, rather, so as well as ref internal reflection, working with a coach or a mentor or whatever it happens to be, so they can test the assumptions upon which you are basing your decisions and your conversations and your your actions and your words. Because I think we we quite naturally, again, there's an odd paradox as you become a leader in business. We expand our knowledge and our experience as we grow and we get older and we learn in our roles, we quite often narrow our frame of reference at the same time because we lean on that exact experience and knowledge that we already have. And sometimes we stop learning at a point and we stop assessing and looking at perspective and thinking, of, thinking about things from other people's perspectives. So the ability of a coach or mentor to test those assumptions when you get to a certain level in management or leadership, I think is critical because if we if we do self-reflect, but that self-reflection on words and actions and impact and, and relative privilege is based on the wrong assumptions, then we don't move forward as a self-aware mm -hmm. leader. We need someone to to test us and cast a, a friendly but critical eye on the assumptions we're making and the actions we're taking as a result. Definitely. It, I was often described to me, and um, I use a coach, from, you know, time to time when I feel like I'm, I'm waning, you know, and I'm, I'm going slightly off track and I want to get back to perhaps my true self or in your terminology, be more self-aware is, and they said, you need somebody to hold the mirror up every now and again. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a leader, I think nobody often does that because you are the top of the tree, yeah. you know, actually in a good organization, you should be being challenged on your behavior, but inevitably that doesn't always happen. So you do need that external person, don't you, to hold up the Absolutely. mirror. Definitely. Um, I suppose around that though, is there is this kind of, there's business leaders that have perhaps, you know, had principles in their, and their, their style of leadership and they're self-aware and, and they're perhaps a, a new generation coming through and, and you've alluded to it. It's more acceptable now to, you know, to think in that way, but in the same way, there's going to be those ruthless leaders, those old fashioned leaders that are perhaps finding themselves slightly out of place now or out of sync with the world. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think they are able to change their approach or do you think, you know, they are set in their ways and, and have you got any experience of encountering people like that and having some success, Paul, I suppose? Anyone's able to change. Um, I would, 
I guess the the question is what the motivation for change is. And mm. with those individuals, if the motivation is to create the veneer that they have changed as a leader because it's the trend or it's good PR or someone said, well, you need to be more empathetic or more authentic or more self-aware. So they think, right, what are the three best things I can do to create that impression? Then I don't think real change will come because yeah. it won't be, again, to go back to my earlier point, it won't be sustained over time. If, but however, if that leader has recognized that their style of leadership isn't the right style of leadership for whatever reason it happens to be, and they're prepared to put in the work and prepared to work with someone and prepared to be on occasion brutally critical with themselves and accept the criticism of others in terms of their leadership, then I think, yes, over time it will change. But again, it's intention, it's motivation, it's will and it's consistency. All of these things are able to flourish and able to develop, but they need consistency and commitment over time. Yeah. And you, can you think of any sort of public figures that you admire for changing? Is there anybody that you, when you, you think about that out there that you think, well, actually, they have changed? Uh, I don't want to highlight <laughs> any individuals. Um, I don't think that's probably the right approach. Uh, and, and I wouldn't, public figures, I wouldn't have enough knowledge to know whether okay. that change is genuine or whether that change is a bit of a veneer. But um but I've certainly seen it in business. I've witnessed it with people I have worked with. And, you know, to be fair to everyone, none of us are perfect. We all need to constantly evolve and develop. It's very easy to look at other leaders, other people in business and, and others in our general lives and say, well, they need to change, but change needs to start with us as well. And we are all changing and evolving. You're not the same person that you were when you were 20. I'm certainly not. Um, we've learned, we've made mistakes, we've changed as a result. But again, it just goes back to that commitment, I think. It is, doesn't it? A couple of things I'd pick up on, I suppose. When I've got an example of, you know, when I was in corporate life, um, we had the leader of that office that I was working in, obviously had been told he needed to be more engaging. So it just came to, you know, on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 o'clock, he'd walk the floor. And because yeah. somebody had told him that's a tip, that's something you can do. And it was so obvious. And it did the opposite yes. because it was so crass, nearly. <laughs> and it actually did, you know, it made him more distant Yeah, because it felt so false. So it's about finding ways of being authentic, isn't it? And I think and also a lot of what you're talking about is having a growth mindset, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, you touched on it earlier on. There's a point at which in your leadership journey or in your management journey where you feel like, or you're told, or the general discourse is that you need to have the answers and not necessarily ask the questions. And actually, the one of the keys to great leadership, I think, is to continually seek out knowledge, continue to be curious, continue to ask those questions. That's, that's how you continue to develop as a leader. No one has all of the answers. And, you know, we need to get over ourselves when we get further up the leadership chain and get over our ego a little bit and mm. recognize that actually asking questions is both demonstrating a sense of positive vulnerability as a leader, that you don't have all the answers, demonstrating a sense of empowerment, that you're asking people within your team to, to work with you and, and to explain to you the things that you don't understand, and providing a sense of collaboration, that it becomes a, a dialogue and a conversation rather than just a, a leadership monologue constantly. Mm. Yeah, definitely a new, you know, the right approach to it. But 
it can be challenging, can't it? Because you have somebody that's, you know, been a business leader, been a business owner, entrepreneur, um, thinking of kind of the Evolve kind of members and and they've been doing what they're doing for 10, 15 years. Yeah. And, you know, most people when they start their business have this energy, this enthusiasm, this drive, you know, the world is open. But sometimes it's just that hard slog and grind and challenges and jumping the next hurdle that wears people down and and therefore they lose some of that focus that passion that belief that they once yes. had i suppose the challenge is, is you know what are mechanisms and ways to get people back to having that focus passion belief they once had and having that more open-minded kind of approach i mean I, you've talked about one thing it could be to have a coach have somebody external to the business to to actually challenge them but any other thoughts and ideas on how somebody can who is open, be more open. Yeah, I mean, I, I do genuinely in business, I do think it comes back, and it is a cliche phrase today, but I, but it is true, it's cliched for a reason, is to going back to, as a business owner, finding that passion and that purpose that encourage you to launch that business. You know, no one wakes up on a Sunday morning and says, I've got nothing better to do, I might launch a business. You launch a business because you believe you have the right solution to a problem or you want to solve one of the problems in the world or you believe there's an opportunity for a new product or a service or whatever it happens to be. So you you launch with all that vigor and enthusiasm and you grow and then as you say you get sucked into the to the operational challenges and you have a few bumps and perhaps a few failures and you struggle in your business and you lose sight of the you just become a process rather than a passion. The business becomes right, well, this year we've got to turn over 5% or 10% more than we did last year. Mm. But keep going back to asking yourself why you need to be turning over that. You know, what is the, what's the motivation that's driving that other than just business growth? What sits beneath that? You know, most product innovations now are iterations because we've lost the sense of creativity in business mm. to sometimes to truly innovate. So we just put a 2.0 or a 3.0, but and we call it a revolutionary new product or an innovative new product. But but it is an iterative new product. So I think it is going back as simple as it sounds to why you're delivering that business. What is the purpose of it? What is the next ambition? Why are you trying to grow that business and scale it other than just to grow and scale it? There's gotta be something that underpins it, that gives meaning to it. Otherwise, as I say, it just becomes a process rather than a passion. Definitely, definitely. In my terminology, I talk to clients about what does good look like? What does good times look yes. like? And yeah. I think it's refreshing to speak to somebody that's clearly thinks in the same way and talks, you know, to their clients and audience in a similar manner, because I think there's too many business advisors, coaches out there that it's all about growth, 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 growth and exit, growth and exit, growth and exit. And sometimes good is just actually, do you know what? I'm, this business is a great lifestyle. I actually want to take a bit more time out or I want to pass to the next generation or actually times are tough right now. So good looks like, yeah. I am going to be here in three years' time, but there's not enough of those honest conversations that take place, in my opinion. I agree, and I, and I don't think it's helped by the sort of cravat-wearing, Ferrari-leaning influences on social media either. You know, I, I think, you know, half of those shots appear to me, if you actually pulled the camera back, they'd be shot on a green screen behind a fish and chip shop. So I, I just think we've got to be the best entrepreneur for us, not the best entrepreneur for someone else or creating a perception of 
what we think we need to be based on someone else's performance because mm. we just need to be the best entrepreneurs for us. I read a, a quote a long time ago, and my wife, you know, she, she often refers to it as well. And it's just about making your next decision your best decision in business. Mm. And I love, I don't know who said it, and I can't re recall it and where I saw it, but I think that's a great quote. And you can't always do it because it's not, yeah. life's not practical. But, but if you have, that sort of focus to just make that next step the best step or that next decision your best decision, then maybe a majority of times, 55%, 60%, you may do that because, again, you've got the intention to try and focus on that. Yeah, that, and it's that intention piece, isn't it? Because if not, you get stuck in that gerbil wheel, just spinning it around and yeah. around and around. And, yeah, again, I suppose it comes out of getting out of the noise sometimes and just reflecting on you know, where you're going, what you're doing, and, and be able to make those decisions with some context, isn't it? Yeah. So one of the things that you promote at PL is sort of more creative thinking. And again, you touched on it in um, the response just now. And you do that within your creative thinking for leaders kind of program. So, um, and I think on one of your own podcasts, you've noted that it's ironic that many business owners are always calling for more creative thinking from their employees. But that creativity is often confined when they try and reflect into the business on their marketing approach. Yeah. So what does creative thinking for leaders mean to you, Paul? Essentially, that creativity so often in businesses, as you've just highlighted, it gets boxed up and passed to the marketing department. But creative, well, creativity and creative thinking is essentially just finding new ways to join dots, new ways to think about things, bringing in all of the, the knowledge that you have and the, the insights that you've gained and finding new innovative approaches to anything in business. And I think what we need to try and do as leaders and as managers is recognize that there is creativity within each of us and that creativity and that creative thinking should be applied to the operational arm of the business, the logistical arm of the business, the commercial arm of the business, and the innovative arm of the business. Because we've, I think in some respects, we've kind of outsourced our curiosity, our natural curiosity. We, we've outsourced it to an algorithm. You know, so if you go on social and you read something, you like something, then it, you know, naturally the algorithm will filter other things like it that. It's back at you, doesn't it? Yeah. But actually creativity comes from diverse stimulation, diverse experiences, because the, the same dots don't need to be joined within your brain. It's the diverse dots that need to be brains uh, that need to be joined. So the more curious you become as an individual, the more you seek more diverse experiences and knowledge, then the more that goes into your mind that sits as the basis for creativity. And then you need two things in business to enable that creativity to flourish more generally. You need the freedom to express it, and then you need the framework to ensure that in whatever area of business you want to think more creatively about moving into a new market or developing a new operational system or whatever it happens to be, you need a framework to ensure that that freedom that's been allowed to flourish, the creative ideas that have come out, they're tested, they're assessed in a critical way, they're narrowed down, and then the process drives them out through to delivery. Because if you don't have a framework that allows you to deliver creative thinking within the business, then that whole perception around creativity is wasted brainstorms and ideas that go nowhere become self-perpetuating. 
and the leader or the the manager or whatever it happens to be will think, well, we go into a brainstorm for an hour and we, you know, all muck around and we put a few post-it notes up and and then nothing seems to happen. But that's because you've only got half the story. You've got the you've given it the freedom, but you haven't given it the framework. And yeah. you know, there's one piece of advice that I would offer in terms of ensuring that you deliver creative thinking more functionally and more strategically within the business. And that is if you do have a brainstorm, don't just walk out of that brainstorm with the one idea that you've agreed on. You've got another 40 that are sitting around that room that could be, maybe maybe they're not right for right now, but they could be right for a month or six months time when a different opportunity arises or, a, or the market changes or a new product comes on stream or new people come into the business with new perspectives on those ideas. So curate those ideas, give the, someone the responsibility within their business to curate those ideas. And the next brainstorm you have, bring those curated ideas back in to the conversation to start that next creative conversation about whatever challenge it is in business. Because that idea that you thought of for marketing or logistics six months ago, there may be the genesis of a beautiful idea for the operational or the commercial aspect of the business in six months time. But if you haven't captured it, you haven't revisited it, and you haven't thought about it with fresh eyes, then that idea is gone forever. Hmm. I love, you know, that's a great way of putting the, the, the principles of that kind of having the freedom, but having the framework and discipline Absolutely. and capturing it as well. Because I, I suppose there's one, there was one issue with businesses that are really creative is that sometimes they can just be chasing the new shiny new thing, can't they? And yeah. actually nothing gets followed through, nothing gets delivered. And actually, yeah, the frustration creeps in and all of that, or they just don't make the most of the opportunities that could perceive that they have. Um, but, you know, for a business owner, leader listening to this, wanting to perhaps get, you know, half a dozen of his team together and have one of those sort of creative sessions to kick and give the freedom to the organization. Uh, any thoughts on how they should go about doing that? Yes, don't turn up to the brainstorm and start the brainstorm then. Set a brief for it in advance. Yeah. Anyone who wants to participate, go away and do their own research and request that they bring some ideas, whether that's a clip from a magazine or something they've seen online or something they saw when they walked past Oxford Circus or Piccadilly Circus or wherever it happens to be in their local town. You know, we all capture so much visual stimuli every day and we've got in our mobile phones the best opportunity we've ever had in the history of mankind to capture the creativity and the ideas and the thoughts that we see around us. You know, in the old, I mean, I'm in my fifties. So in the old days, you know, you have to remember to take a notebook and write it down <laughs> and go back home and relay it into a diary, whatever it happens to be. We can just go snap, 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 you know, and or audio recorded or whatever it happens to be. So get those people who want to participate to bring the research, into that conversation, write a brief, get them to bring that research in, and then critically give everyone a fair voice in there. You know, so many brainstorms are dominated by someone standing at the head of that boardroom table and someone who's often a frustrated creative in their own heart and actually wants to paint but never gets motivated to paint, so feels this is their one opportunity to express their lifetime of creativity in 45 minutes. Give everyone a voice in that room because everyone's got a valid and genuine and important contribution to make because everyone brings diverse lived experiences, cultural experiences, 
perceptions and opinions into it. Mm -hmm. So don't let one person dominate, whoever that happens to be, but get people to do their research and get excited and stimulated about it. Don't say we've got, here we are, it's 10 past 10, we've got product day, we've got 20 minutes to come up with the solution to this. Get people to think in advance and get invigorated and ignite their creativity and their curiosity. Great ideas and suggestions. And I, I, I suppose far too often, isn't it, the leader comes with their own agenda to those meetings, is yeah. what you're saying, really, yeah. and actually drop the ego again and come with an open mind. And I suppose that's where, even if it's somebody internal, somebody else other than the leader facilitating those sessions can help, can't it? Yeah, I mean, brainstorms just turn into my storms, don't they? They just turn into, sometimes <laughs> yeah. into leaders espousing their creative ideas. And, and you know, leaders have got great ideas. They're in a business, they're leading a business for a reason. Yeah. But we don't have the only ideas. That's the important yeah. thing to take away from that, I think. Yeah, definitely. But I suppose one of the things, if you're talking about, you know, new principles and leadership and and is that, and again, and we've talked about it a couple of times, isn't it, is the ego does get in the way. And any, I suppose, any perspectives on how a leader can to drop the ego, you know, because that even, even if you're trying to do the right thing at the right, in the right way, sometimes the ego will get in the way. Yeah, and we have to be realistic that everyone's ego gets in the way. It's not just yeah. leaders' egos. That, that's, that's a core part of our characteristic as human beings. It's a core part of the reason why, why we strive and we succeed. So ego is a, is a healthy thing as well. But it goes back to the point we talked about earlier about self-awareness, about checking yourself in that moment and being super present. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you may have got excited in that moment in a brainstorm and you've expressed an idea, but then just check yourself and think, actually, I've been talking on this for seven minutes. It's about some time someone yeah. else had, 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 you know, was, was let into the conversation. So, you know, we, we, we're covering the same content in some respects in this conversation because it comes back to will and intention and being super present and self-aware and, you know, working with that mentor as a leader and, and identifying that, you know, you might go to a, to a coach or a mentor and say, I just can't seem to get anyone to express their creative um, ideas in a brainstorm. And if you're not quite self-aware enough and you're only going under the self-reflection element of those two aspects, you'll be thinking, well, I can't understand why no one else is expressing their creativity. You have a conversation with a mentor and she or he say, well, do you always start the conversation? Do you always end the conversation? Do you always want to get your idea, idea out there first? And all of a sudden there's a realization that no one else is expressing it because inadvertently quite often you've dominated that meeting with your enthusiasm. So it is about working again on both sides of that self-aware leadership um, coin, if you like, internal reflection, external um, conversations with coaches and mentors, but then also continually checking yourself in that moment. And like anything in life, like any rehearsal, practice, training at the gym, the more you do it, the more aware you become of it, the better you become at it. Yeah, great, great tips again, Paul. Um, just, I suppose it's a question that's been around forever. And I'm just through this conversation, I'm just intrigued to know your response to it, really. Would you go with the fact that leaders are born or bred? They're both. They're absolutely both, because if you take the example of a, let's say, a world champion, 100-meter um, sprinter, there will be some people that are 
probably naturally better sprinters. But you don't win the 100 metres just by being a naturally better sprinter. You win the 100 metres by applying your talent and your persistence. And equally, you can have someone who may be not the best natural runner, but far exceeds some of those natural runners because they have done nothing but work after and beyond their requirements every day in terms of training. They've gone out and done more and more and more and worked harder and harder and harder than anyone else. And, you know, you read a lot of the, the sports books or the books and um, about business and you think, well, they've been incredibly successful sports people and incredibly su successful entrepreneurs. And actually then you get to page 130 and you realize it's because long after the training finished, they were still kicking the rugby ball over the posts or still running at four o'clock in the morning or whatever it happens to be. So, so leadership is a mix of talent, ability, and tenacity and persistence. And it's the, the, the magical mix of those that gets you to the place that you need to be in leadership. And for sure, some people have to work harder than others. Maybe it just doesn't come quite as naturally but that's just life, isn't it? You know, I'm five foot eight. I'm never going to be a world champion basketball player, you know, but, but I'm, I'm good at what I do and I work hard at what I do. Um, it hasn't come to me as naturally as other people, but if you want it, then you've just got to pick yourself up and go out and get it. Yeah. Hunger and desire can Absolutely. get you a long way. Can't Absolutely. It? Definitely. And I love that analogy about, about the sprinter. That's a good, I've never heard it put in that perspective before, but it's true, isn't it? They have yeah. a natural talent, but it's the nurture piece. Absolutely. And the training and development that means they win the Olympic gold or whatever right. it, what it may be. Absolutely. You've actually had a few guests on your own uh, podcast, uh, the new PNL podcast uh, from the sports world, most notably some people involved with the um, All Blacks. So what lessons on principled leadership can a business owner take from coaches and managers of those sports teams? There's a great book uh, called Legacy, which is um, written by James Kerr. So I haven't had him on the podcast, but I've discussed the book a couple of times with a, with a couple of guests on the podcast. And, you know, the leadership principle in, within the All Blacks is a huge amount of humility that sits beneath that high performance. There's a huge amount of cultural collaboration. You know, the All Black in this book, Legacy, that he talks about, the All Blacks always cleaning the changing room before they leave, because why should anyone else have to clean up after them? So I think humility is, is key to leadership. Um, tenacity and persistence, as I've said earlier on, is something that we can all take from the sporting world. And I think, you know, failure, you know, I often think about teams that maybe sit two thirds of the way down the premiership. And how do you get motivated week after week after week? What is your motivation to become the best ninth team in the premiership, you know, rather than the winner? Because we know in the premiership in the UK, it's probably likely to only be won by four or five teams. So how do you continually find that, that level of motivation? And a lot of it comes down to creating that culture where you, you play for each other as much as you play for the team and as much as you play for yourself, you you create and you know the All Blacks are very fortunate because much of the much of the culture is takes a lot of learnings from from Maori culture and Polynesian culture and the the essence of what it is to be to be part of the whanau, part of the family, 
part of a team that works intimately together for the common good, for the greater good. And a lot of those things can be learned in the in business. You know, there isn't a there's a captain in an all black team or a rugby team, but they are only really there in a sense to lead at one level to liaise with the referee, to lead the team, but everyone takes their own leadership position within the 15 that are on the field. And they take their leadership position for themselves. They take their leadership position to represent the team and to come together as a team. So they have 15 leaders, if you like, on that field, working collaboratively, putting their ego in check to work for the common good. And that's probably a lesson we can take away in business as well, I think, that yes, there is a leader and CEO or a business owner or a managing director, whoever they happen to be, and they play a role, but they should play a role as part of a team, not fundamentally just driving that team. They need to be part of a collaborative team that is working for common purpose and common good. They happen to have that role and they do that role well, but they are still part of a team and part of a collaborative purpose. Yeah, I love that term humility because that sums it up in quite a neat way, isn't it? I think, you know, uh, organizations that demonstrate that internally and externally are those organizations that a lot of people aspire to be, aspire to work for, clients, customers, direct towards um, because of that. I suppose one of the questions there is, you know, the All Blacks have been incredible at cascading that kind of style of leadership to generation after generation, team after team after team, as we see in their dominance within rugby union. But, and you've, you've alluded to some of that could be just the culture of the country as well. You know, in organisations, there is a challenge there, isn't there, when leaders change, mm -hmm. you know, when, it, when a new MD comes in, um, or, you know, um, and what can a business do to make sure that, you know, they've, they've adopted the new p &L? You know, the M the MD, the CEO in residence has said, I really believe in this. This is what we're going to do and, and cascades that down. But there's a change of leader who perhaps doesn't think of things in the same way. What can an organization do to really ingrain the new PL within an organization? I do think that is one of the fundamental challenges of businesses as they grow and scale and change leadership. Um, I guess one of the key opportunities the business has is when they are transitioning to a new leader is to ensure that that leader is not only suitable commercially for that business, but she or he is also suitable culturally for that mm. business, that they believe in, again, they believe in the essence and the purpose of that business. They believe in the principles that underpin it because, you know, we won't name any names today, but you, the world is littered, the business world is littered with, businesses that fail when the next generation of leaders or the next leader comes into a business or it's bought by a VC firm or whatever it happens to be. They, and they don't, they believe in the product because they can see it makes money, but they don't believe in the essence of what that business is. So I think it's incumbent upon the CEO who was in the business at the time and the board that are the chair people of the board and to appoint a new leader that also believes in the culture of that business and the principles and the purpose that define it as well as the commercial possibilities of that business yeah definitely we again uh, a really interesting subject is that kind of v vc pe house you know hedge fund kind of buyout kind of approach and uh, i'm just intrigued and maybe you haven't but have you ever had any discussions with you know 
individuals in those entities about the new PL and it and the approach because generally you're right that's when it can all go wrong isn't it if business is built on culture principles all of those kind of things it's bought by a financial institution for intents and purposes who just want to squeeze every penny and yeah. i'm just intrigued if you've ever had those conversations with somebody from those kind of organizations about a different approach i have had conversations with a couple of people i guess the one thing i would temper that with is they are people who believe in a principled approach to business so they are ethical investors they look to grow businesses in a scalable way they try to manage the frankly the mad perceptions that sometimes exist particularly in the tech startup world about what return on investment should look like for in, for initial investment series a series b investments so these these are people within that world who are trying to take a more ethical approach to their investments and a more principled approach but it is a you know it's like anything in the business world you you start with a passion you build a great product it scales hugely because people believe in that product and then you have all sorts of challenges that operational and and principled and purpose challenges that that result as a result of the size and the speed and the scaling of that business and it takes a very tenacious and persistent leader to hold on to those principles and think well we're not going to go here and rush and go too quickly because we want to grow this business in a sensible and in a, in a scale um, in a sustainable way and we want to remain true to our principles and you you're not going to remove unethical investment you know and vc or hedge funds that just want to squeeze every last element of profit what we can hope to do is create a momentum and a and a movement that sees more people move towards more ethical investment and i think that's what i'm trying to do and what many others are trying to do in the business world as we start to draw the kind of conversation to a close i could talk to you forever Paul. i'm really loving the conversation but <laughs> we do need to think about drawing it to a close i i suppose one of the final questions would be you know you talk about the new pnl institute so that kind of aims towards thinking about education and and what do you think we could be doing with the next generation or with universities and schools to perhaps do more so that they come out into the business world with the new PL approach i think the next generation i'm i'm not i'm not so worried about the next generation i think even with the social media influence and the standing by the Ferrari and the Lamborghinis and you know, think, this is yes. what business is about approach. Yeah, I think there are, I think there are challenges. I'm not suggesting that there aren't challenges, but I do think when you look at many of the statistics that talk about, you know, 50, 60, 70% of Gen X and, and millennial employees looking for a business with purpose, not just looking for a business with a salary. When you look at many of the other incredible innovations that are being developed by young entrepreneurs in terms of uh, sustainability or the environment or whatever it happens to be. I have, I have a strong belief and faith that the next generation recognizes, broadly speaking, what needs to be done to move towards more ethical business. I mean, I even, when I first launched the new PL, and this is a slightly flippant example, but it does, it does demonstrate the thinking I launched the new PL and I was talking to my son who was 13 at that point. Um, and I explained in quite elaborate terms what the new PL was and what the principles were that underpinned it and, and why it was important to business. And his response to me after five minutes of me pontificating to him, 
He said, so what you're basically saying, Dad, is be kind and don't be a dick. And, <laughs> and that summed it up in a nutshell. And I think, you know, there is, you look across those generations now, there's much more respect for for each other quite often, mm. uh, for more diverse opinions and lived experiences. Um, I think they have a very different approach. They recognize that they're, they're growing up in a world where all of the environmental and social and social justice challenges are far more obvious as they should be, and they're far more aware of them. Of course, there are issues with social media and there are issues with, um, I think, their ability to, to build confidence in themselves because they have so much of that reflected to them online and, you know, the veneer of what actually success looks like. But, but I do have general, general confidence that we are, the next generation will be probably much more adept at managing the ethical integration and principles and purpose of the business than perhaps my generation has been. Yeah, no, definitely. It's funny how kids can bring you back to earth. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, I can sum your business up. Be yeah, nice, exactly, don't be a yeah. dick. <laughs> I can't really use it as a strap line, but it was a great <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um But I suppose that, yeah, uh, th there is that challenge, isn't there, between the social media and the get yeah. quick rich schemes, which, you know, perf you know, are out there and people fall for and, and that's not a genuine way of doing business either. I suppose from a financial point of view, I mean, what examples have you seen of people adopting the new PNL approach and seeing financial benefits as a consequence? I mean, the best example, and, and certainly I'm not suggesting this business has adopted the new PNL, as in my the new PNL, but but they've adopted a completely different approach to business, and that is Patagonia you know, the outdoor firm. Um, in so many ways, they represent what the future of business needs to look like. And they also demonstrate that that future of business doesn't have to compromise on profit in order to live with purpose. You know, they, whether it's supporting environmental activists around the world, whether it is withdrawing themselves from Black Friday pre-Christmas or whether it is giving the profits that they make in certain areas to environmental and social causes, whether it is setting up online and bricks and mortar retail shops to re-sew and, and fix up the clothing that they've sold that has unstitched itself or whatever it happens to be so people can sustain what they've already bought rather than going out and continuing to buy fast fashion. There is a culture of purpose that sits incredibly at the heart of that organization and they are tremendously successful and they're you know their products are a premium price mm -hmm. um, they use more environmentally sensitive materials wherever they can they invest a lot of money in trying to continue down that road of figuring out how they reduce their logistical costs how they reduce their impact on the environment and so on but they're still hugely profitable and they're hugely profitable because people believe in them, because they're loyal to them, because they understand their purpose, because there is a complete clarity of purpose. They're a great, they're often one that's cited, you know, Patagonia is always the one that's cited, but that, that is because they are the shining light. Now, my skeptical voice on that would be, it's disconcerting if everyone, including me, always talks about Patagonia, because there must, <laughs> there must be others out there who are doing it. You know, yeah. um, North Face are great at that. REI, another US outdoor retailer, are brilliant at doing it. But Patagonia are the most obvious shining example.
like you say, they see, are seen as the shining light and the sh seen as the one where they really have got those principles running through the core of everything mm -hmm. they do in any interaction that they have, both internally and externally. So final question always on the podcast is, um, you know, it's the Evolve to Succeed podcast after all. What's your definition of success, Paul? It's, you know, I, because I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life, as, as I'm sure you have, it's it's hard to get past the financial management or the financial measurement of success mm. because you can't necessarily be successful as an entrepreneur if you can't pay the rent or can't pay your mortgage. So that's got to be part of it, and there's no point fooling that it, that it isn't. But I feel with the new P&L, and I can only talk from my own experience, that I get up every day for the last 18 months I have, and I feel like I'm doing something with meaning. I feel like I'm doing something that, however small it might be, it is changing a small proportion of the world. It might be tiny, but it's still changing something. And I feel like I have personal purpose in my life because I, I, believe, I genuinely believe in everything I'm doing and I'm genuinely passionate about it and it flavors every decision I make in this business and it actually flavors a lot of the decisions I make in my personal life as, as well because I need to live by the principles that I'm trying to espouse in the new P&L. So I think success for me is living by your true self and living by your authentic self as an entrepreneur, not trying to pretend to be something you're not. And there are, I have plenty of failures and I have plenty, make plenty of mistakes and I have plenty of areas of myself that I need to work on personally and professionally. But I do feel like I get up every morning with purpose and with a passion for what I'm doing. And that's got to be the definition, the most important definition of success, because the money will follow. I know it's a cliche and it's very easy to say, but the money does follow and it must follow and it has to follow if you're totally passionate about everything you do, because it follows when you don't give a hoot about what you're doing. So it must follow if you're passionate about it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Very honest uh, approach and your passion shines through. And again, one of my mantras is don't focus on the money and the money will come. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You agree with that. Create a great business that serves its customers and it looks after its team and you know, the, the rewards will follow. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. But that was a really honest response to that question around success, Paul. So thank you for that. Thank and you. thank you for being so passionate during the course of this conversation and so knowledgeable. If people want to learn more about you and more about the new PL, where can they go? Uh, the best place is principlesandleadership.com. And you'll learn, uh, you can see the podcast there, the new PL podcast, and also the new PL Brand Purpose Institute. And just drop us a line, Paul, at principlesandleadership.com if they want to, uh, they'd like to chat further. But Warren, I wanted to say um, thank you so much for the invitation. I've really enjoyed the conversation today and, uh, and I appreciate your, uh, you inviting me onto the show. Brilliant. It's been great to have you as a guest, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. There were so many things I loved about that conversation with Paul. Too many, in fact, to go through in detail here. So much of what he said, his philosophies about leadership and his attitude towards principles, collaboration, and being your authentic self, so much of that echoed with the same thoughts and ideas that I've come to after years of being a business owner, as well as being some of the primary motivations behind founding Evolve. I trust you found this conversation with Paul as insightful and inspiring as I did, and my hope is that you'll use it as a cause to stop and reflect on your own approach and ideas about leadership 
what you're doing right and perhaps where you could do things better. Ultimately, I think this podcast is best summed up by this simple sentence from Paul, which is, be the best entrepreneur for you, not for other people. Thank you for listening. And if you do want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. You can register there for our weekly insights and newsletter, as well as learn about the services that we offer at Evolve, including our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, courses for teams, as well as our lovely co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul. And if you are a business leader in Dorset and Hampshire, then I'm really excited to be able to say that through the Dorset LEP and the Solent LEP, we have some fully funded peer network and peer group programs that we can offer to you. So if you want to learn more, again, go to the website or please call the team. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if so, please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing and listening to future episodes. Thank you for listening.